you can't give up the ball, you can't miss tackles, you can't step out of bounds, you can't have penalties, you can't field punts on the one-yard line. Some of you wonder why you don't play and start. Because you won't tackle on an interception. Because you don't know who to block. So you- Welcome back to Sports Intoxication. It's been a few weeks. Uh, we settled our Super Bowl bottle of bourbon bet. Uh, Matt with the win, come from behind fashion win. Um, congratulations to Matt. And we, the bottle has been purchased. Is yeah, that- Brian and I have to do a little swap, bottle swap. Yeah, I've I've got I'll get Matt a close up just to get his taste buds going a little bit. Never had that. I'm excited about it. Go. Yeah, very nice a bottle of Old Forester Statesman to to the victor. Um, not a ton else going on right now except um, college basketball. Which since we, I mean, part of the reason that we haven't talked that much is probably because there just hasn't been that much to talk about as far as um, games. Xavier has had two now very long pauses because of COVID. Um, and coming off their most recent pause, they are one and three um, after last night's drubbing against Providence. Um, and then prior to that, their first game back, they played a tight game at home with UConn and had a chance, but uh, kind of lost it late. Mm-hmm. And then um, got beat pretty – again, it was kind of a close-ish game, but never it, – it didn't it didn't feel like it was ever there for uh, the taking against St. John's. And then they beat a very depleted Butler team. So um, to put themselves squarely on the bubble – Watching tonight's uh, Michigan Iowa game, they had the, of course, the last four in, first four out, um, and I noticed that Xavier was among Joe Lenardi's last four in. So um, we'll start there. What uh, are your guys? I know, I know, there was quite a bit of discussion last night on the group chat. Um, some hand wringing, some frustration, but um, and. Rightfully so. I think I'm, and I'm one of the people that started. I, I, I said I'm losing faith in Travis Steele. Um, and it doesn't mean that I'm saying Travis Steele should be fired. I want to clarify that. Um, but I'm just starting to wonder if um, he's the guy that can get I, – I don't know what it is. If it's substitution patterns, patterns if it's coaching these guys up, I don't know um, where the disconnect is right now because – they just can't shoot right now, um, but they're also. I think that I think that that's part of my frustration is that they're just doing the same thing and expecting different results. Um, so, having said that, I've been talking for five minutes. You guys haven't said a word, so um, let's get into it. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can we can get into the games later, but like what I think is kind of how I viewed this season and I've, I feel like starting to get more frustrated obviously over the last four games just with how they're playing but I feel like out of probably the three of us I'm the least um, 
frustrated, I guess is probably the word and, and how to describe what's going on. Um, the way I kind of view what's happened this year, I mean, they started off 8-0, which great. Very easily could have been 4-4 four and four in those eight games. Uh, it's not like they were world beaters the first seven um, or six, whatever. They played one good game, right? Again, or they played two against Oakland, who the three of us and Tom and Bill across the street probably could have beat them. Um, and then the Oklahoma game, uh, Tom's hurt. So maybe, you know, somebody else, but um, the Oklahoma <laughs> game, obviously I think is what is the most sort of mystifying to all of us, right? Because you saw how good they could be in theory, but the more you watch this team, the more you realize that that game really was more of an aberration than anything, I think. The only reason I say I think there is because they had gotten into a groove of playing better basketball after game, you know, six, seven, was I think it went like East Ten Eastern Kentucky, Tennessee Tech, Oklahoma, something like that. And they barely squeaked out Eastern Kentucky. They blew the doors off Tennessee Tech, who they should. And they blew the doors off Oklahoma. And then I think they go to Creighton and lose, if my timeline is right there, some something like that. But they were they were playing lose yeah. a winnable game, which at the time yeah. felt significant because Creighton was top 10. But I guess my point is like they were playing good and you could see them starting to get into a little bit of a rhythm. And um, then they get hit with, you know, a week long shutdown where they're not practicing or anything. Come back for two games, I think against Providence Marquette win both those games very easily could have lost both games. That so like, yeah, they're 12 and five, but realistically, they very easily could be nine and eight, eight and nine, you know, 500 team. And so, sorry, this is going to be a little long winded, Brian. He can jump in, but like, I think they've basically had three seasons within the first 17 games. And then, you know, you're not able to practice for, a lot of this last shutdown. But the other thing that I think with the rotation piece is you started off the year not having Ben Stanley, not having Adam Kunkel for the first four or five games. Then, you know, you have a rotation for those first five, right? Dwan Odom, I think, missed the first game. So you have that rotation kind of set. And then and Colby Jones and CJ yeah. Welcher missed the first, like, okay, five that's right. Games. So those guys missed the first five. Yeah. He gets a rotation with the eight players that are eligible. And then all of a sudden, all at once, you get four new guys thrown in. And then two games later, Ben Stanley tears his ACL. And then Colby Jones can't play for two games because of COVID. And then Brian Griffin can't play for two game, two or three games because of COVID. So, like, the rotation hasn't been great, but it's – kind of like, what are you supposed to, I, I guess I just don't know what the answer is when basically you've had three different seasons and three or four or five different rosters at this point. Now, those are all excuses, right? And I'll be the first to admit that, but I think you have to first acknowledge that 
prior to talking about the play on the court, at least in my opinion, like that it has to factor in because typically by now they've played, they would have played 25, 26 games. They would have had over a hundred practices and they're at what, 17 games and they've probably missed 20 days of practice. So like there's, they're not going to be sharp. And they had a month layoff right in the middle of the season, basically. So those are all the excuses that you have. And I think they're all valid. But there are some issues that. Yeah, I I think present. Yeah. And I agree with everything that you said. And I think I think we've come to the agreement that steel isn't getting fire this year or next year it like if they miss it if they miss the tournament five years in a row then i think he's probably gone but he's gonna have a chance to to see a full recruiting cycle and i think he'll get it figured out but i guess what's frustrating for me about this year is i understand all the pauses and roster rotations but they just can't seem to do anything right and and to me it's two things and Matt you identified one of these last night but three point shooting there is supposed to be a strength but for some reason they can't make a shot but the other thing i think the bigger issue that has probably been an issue all season long and we just didn't recognize it because earlier in the year they were making threes more consistently they were winning close games because of that is the fact that their ball screen coverage is so bad that the other team, I think, just gets wide-open looks early in the game. They knock them down. They gain confidence. And then as the game goes on, even if there are some well-defended shots, they're going in for the other team because they've seen the ball go in the basket early and often. And it's just e- extremely frustrating to me that they they don't have anything that they can hang their hat on. Like, if you think about Xavier teams of the past, whether good or bad, they always had something they could hang their hat on. When, for instance, like James Farr and that crew was here, nobody was getting an offensive rebound against Xavier. If you missed your shot, Xavier got the ball and they were going the other way. Then the past, you know, when Makura and Blewett were upperclassmen, they could go on a 15-0 run in two minutes. So even if they played lax on defense – they were probably going to be okay. Then the last couple of years, they've they've struggled a lot, but you knew they were going to play defense. You knew they were going to rebound. You knew they weren't going to be out-hustled, out-toughed. And this year, if they're shooting the lights out, yeah, then they're, they're good and that's fine, but it hasn't been consistent, and the defensive end has just been a complete mess. I mean, I think the only games that we've seen where they've really played well are against teams that just – can't shoot from the outside like, for instance, Butler and Cincinnati when they played the Bearcats. But even the teams that theoretically can't shoot well, shoot well against Xavier because I, I think their their ball screen coverage and their recovers are just so bad. And if you can't defend a ball screen in today's college basketball, you can't play defense. Yeah. There was – I think that, that... – it's a really interesting point, and I, I like that you're talking specifically about ball screens. Uh, I think it sounds like, to me like you may have I actually did not today. because I was but, like um, – I, I was so disgusted. I was like, I know it's just going to be piling on my 
emotions, so I'm not going to read it. Okay. Well, then you're thinking along the same lines as a uh, friend of the podcast, Rick Broering, who wrote on Musketeer Report today that um, – in no uncertain terms, he said maybe it's time to to think about this the, the the style of defense that they play because hedging on those ball screens in an era where a lot of big guys can shoot it from out there hedging works if that big guy has to run back to the post um, and but when the big guy can just flare off and get an open look from three and then bury it then that hedge like it just Broering saying that, that that's not working. Um, and he was saying, to your point, uh, he also said that once they start stepping into some shots, then they have confidence. They've seen a few go through. Um, and that's what happened last night. I mean, he he, he posted a, on Twitter a picture of four different shots that Providence made buried with a guy right in their face, a hand in their face. And some of the shots were from two or three feet from behind the NBA three-point line. Um, and they were still going in. My thing is when I talk about rotations and, and Matt, you're absolutely right. Like they're the, the, the rotations haven't been consistent. He hasn't had a consistent roster. I understand that. My thing is, is just, it feels to me like they are trying to just do the same thing and expecting different results. And that's where I get a little bit frustrated. Like they talk about, there's got to be something in practice where Kiki Tandy or CJ Wilshire or whatever are not getting the minutes. I'm, I'm looking at the guys on the court and saying, well, Kunkel's not making shots. Scruggs isn't making shots. Zach Freeman was 10 of 17 last night, and he was one for five from three. So if you take away all his three-point attempts, he's nine to 12, a re- very efficient game, and he still scores 20 points, 20-plus um, points. But he's, instead he's taken five threes and, and makes one of them. Um, my problem is I just want to see something else. I want to see him try something else because to Brian's point about defense, this team is not good defensively. And so if they're sticking with Dwan Odom, which I like Dwan Odom to be on the court, but if they're sticking with certain guys because of their defensive ability, it ain't working on defense. And so I think this team needs to, and I'm sure I'll get shit for this because it's, I'm a known Chris Mack lover, but I'm I think this team needs to take that Trayvon Blewett, JP Makura era attitude and just try to outscore people. And I get it that shots aren't going down right now. And so obviously that that tactic's not gonna work. But what they're what I'm saying is what they're yeah, doing on I think the biggest problem with that work. and I was I, like it just hit me in the forehead like a hammer last night is the fact that Zach Fremantle can't guard the other team's five without – I mean, obviously they just think he must just get buried in the post and scored on every time because they they couldn't take Jason Carter off the floor because Watson was killing him whenever Carter wasn't on the floor. And Carter is, at this point, just a total zero on offense. When he's on the floor, his guy just stays in the lane. He can't make a shot. He can't make a layup. He – I mean, he's he's a detriment out there. But because Fremantle is apparently so poor on defense in the post, they can't play Wilcher or Kiki or whoever else more. At least that's what I'm interpreting is happening. But I agree with you. I'd, yeah. I'd rather put those no, other I'm guys definitely... in and tell Fremantle to grow a pair of fucking balls and 
let's play. Well, and I think that one of the things that we we as fans thought early in the year is that with the options that this team has, when it comes to shooters, this team has Nate Johnson. It has, well, they didn't last night, but Nate Johnson, Kunkel, Wiltshire can shoot it. Scruggs is a career 37% shooter from deep. Um, Kiki. Kiki can shoot it. So, and then Colby can shoot it. So you're thinking as a fan that, well, not all the guys are going to be off. Uh, so if, if somebody's having an off night, then you can, <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. But they are, but they aren't like at the same time too. Cause we don't, I mean, Kiki Tandy played four minutes last night and Wiltshire didn't play at all in the second half. So that's my, that's my point is just that if, if it's not working with who you got out there, then yeah, get some other guys. Out no, there. I agree with that. I, I do want to circle back and this is probably going to be a very <laughs> unpopular take but we need to talk about Zach Fremantle I mean he's he can score he's a good player but he's not a five in the big east and he's not a five that Xavier I agree when Xavier's had success and I think this is all a um reaction to Chris Mack starting it and then Travis Steele continuing it to catch up to Villanova. And you're not even close to it right now, obviously, but they beat, they beat St. John's with Tyreek Jones playing last week. And I would be willing to bet that that game last night is a heck of a lot closer if Tyreek Jones is on the floor. Yep. And the fact that we do not have a big guy who is willing and able, maybe Brian Griffin needs to get more playing time. The fact that we don't have somebody who can go down low on offense and physical and be physical and fight for offensive rebounds is pathetic. And the fact that you're relying on your starting center to shoot, to shoot five threes in a game for him. I mean, yeah, he can make them, but it's just not what this team needs to be doing. I would rather see Brian Griffin get more minutes, have somebody in the block. It frees up your offense a heck of a lot more than having five guys around the around the three point line. Like there's seven or eight possessions I remember vividly watching last night where they don't even have somebody in the lane. It's just five guys around the three point line picking, screening, and then just popping right to the three point line. It's like guys, you can't shoot when you do get it on the block. Fremantle, I think he got on the block one time last night and scored. Um, I just, I just don't... Well, he's nine of twelve. I'm sorry, two point shots last night. He was yeah. nine of twelve. I just do not understand. Like, is he that? Is he that soft to go in there? Like Nate, Nate Watson, right? I mean, he's one of the better bigs in the league. I'm not going to expect him to to dominate a guy like Nate Watson, who's an upperclassman. But at some point, you have to man up and go down there if you're going to be this caliber of player that you want to be. Um, unless, you know, I mean, obviously that's not how they want to use him. So, you know, he's being used how they want to use him. I just find it fundamentally flawed that you built a team like this and – 
basically every other team in this league has a center who can go down low, except maybe what Creighton. They probably don't have a five. No, Creighton's got that. Um, they've got two guys. They've got a freshman seven footer that's good, and they got that Bishop. Okay, so yeah, I don't, I don't. But like every time I watch them for the last four or five games, it's just like, all right, you're obviously not making shots. You have to do something different. Try and get the ball down to the block, and you just don't have anybody who's willing to do it. And that's why I would like to see Brian Griffin get more minutes. Yeah, he's not the most flashy guy in the world but he at least fights on defense for rebounds. He's physical. He can get you offensive rebounds. We have no one on this team that can offensive rebound. No one. Absolutely. And I think that, I think that kind of gets back to the point that it, it crosses over with the point that I was trying to make about trying to outscore teams. Cause to your point about Fremantle's defense, if you're going to preach defense to me and then tell me that Kiki Tandy can't play in the game and CJ Wiltshire can't play in the game because of defense, but Zach Freeman is playing 38 minutes a game. Yes. Give me a break. First of all. And second, if I'm down with, if Freeman is playing the four, cause he's Freeman wants to be around the perimeter half the time anyways. So if he wants to be a four and play Zach or Brian Griffin at the five more, I like that too. I, and in that scenario, you would probably with two – I know that it's not two traditional bigs. I know that that's the game's moving away from playing two bigs. But in that scenario, you probably right. rebound the better the ball better defensively. And you I know the stats don't back it up because Fremantle does – he's one of the leaders in the Big East in rebounding. I, I do understand that the stats are there that he can rebound. And I know that Xavier is one of the leaders in the Big East in rebounding. But you just watch them. Right. If you, you watch them with your two eyes, you understand that this team is completely soft inside. And well, that's and, why. Right. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. And Sox, to your point on, hey, Kiki can't play and Wiltshire can't play, but Fremantle plays 38 minutes. I think that more points to the fact that they don't have any other bigs that bring anything offensively and are that much better defensively other than Carter, I guess, that that is worthwhile because at least on the perimeter you can, you can point to, well, we got Paul Scruggs and we got Jones and we got Nate Johnson. The others, I don't think you can make an argument for, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I agree. I think just going back, looking at bigs, the last number of years at Xavier, I mean, you had Jalen Reynolds, you had James Farr, you had Tyreek, even before that you had Stainbrook who, was so crafty and was a very good rebounder. Like, I agree. They need um, a traditional O'Mara. five. Oh, even O'Mara. Yeah. I mean, when he got the ball on the block, he was going to score or get fouled. So, hopefully, I don't. I don't know what we expect out of Cesar Edwards, but it would be great if he is can step in and kind of play significant minutes from the get go. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that is frustrating a little bit is, you know, Xavier's always been, ever since, you know, we've all been fans, they've always been relying on their seniors. And again, I don't, you know, Paul Scruggs has been great this year, but he needs to be more assertive on the offensive end. Um, like he can, he can take over games, getting the ball to the lane. And it seems like the last, I admittedly didn't watch much of the Butler game, but 
the games I've watched since we've come back from this pause, I mean, he's just been kind of hesitant with the ball and not taking the ball in. I think last night he scored 20. So, I mean, last night he was a little better with it. Yeah, but, but he didn't really get started until they were already down 10. Right, that's the thing. He's got to do it early in the game. you got to set the tone. And he's one of the better guards in the league at getting the ball to the rim. I mean, you got to do it. Yeah, I, I do think part of the problem with his performance is it's kind of dependent on people hitting shots around him because if people are making shots, then it's so much easier for him to create. And sure. and you notice like the plays that he's making because he's, he's scoring or he's assisting, but when he's throwing it out to the perimeter and we're just chucking up bricks, it's like, well, what are you doing, Paul? Take the ball to the rim. Well, it also helps when you have a big – or when you have somebody on the block too because, right. I mean, you don't – I mean, you can – I just – the inside game, and I've said it ad nauseum in our text chains the last two games they've lost, it's just you're not hitting shots. You got to try something else. Get the ball down low. I don't care what right. – I don't care if you miss it. Right? I mean, just try it. Because Fremantle can score on the block. He just chooses or they use him in a way that is just dumbfounding to me. Uh, I don't get it. I want to read you guys some stats. Uh, because you're – Matt, you saying – and they were talking – we were talking about this last can week. I, when they can I make one comment before you go there? And, rebounding and, ball, and that that is – I don't know yeah. who said it, Matt or Sox, about Xavier trying to match Villanova. This five out, no in, that's what Villanova does. But guess what? All of Villanova's players, other than Gillespie, probably are going to be first-round NBA draft picks before they're even seniors. So there's a difference between that and the guys that Xavier's putting out there. I absolutely agree, but you you understand that that's what they're yep. trying to do. Yes. Right? Yeah, I mean, yes. it's just – it's not going to work when you have, I mean, mid-level – Big East talent, which, I mean, you're getting you're, – two of your starters are a guy from Belmont and a guy from Gardner-Webb. Like, mid-level, they weren't highly sought-after players, right? Yeah. Villanova has two or three McDonald's All-Americans and four guys, like you said, who are probably going to play in the NBA. And Gillespie probably will get a look in the NBA. Right. So, like – Um, so about Fremantle leading the Big East in rebounding, and and we were kind of wondering how that's possible, but I just figured it out. It's because of minutes. Like, every other big, like, the Seton Hall has two seven-footers, um, which those guys are probably both playing, Mama Shkuz is probably playing 25 minutes a game. Um, Tyreek Jones, who led the Big East in rebounding last year, played 28 minutes a game last year, 24 minutes a game as a junior. 32 minutes a game, 32 minutes a game, 31 minutes a game, 28, 29. I mean, like, I'm just looking at his totals from – this is from last year. Um, his highest that I'm seeing here is 36, 37. Um, but that, those are the outliers. Um, it's And so Fremantle playing 38 yeah. minutes a game, it, you know, if you play four minute, four extra minutes, yeah. that's going to be a couple of rebounds, two or three rebounds probably. Um, so – yeah, and I think I that just goes back to, um, I mean, I know some of it has been injuries, but, like, did, did they just not have any confidence in any of the bigs that are on the roster? 
or, or what's going on? Right. Um, I mean, Deontay Miles hasn't been healthy quite a bit this year. Um, but he's someone that last year was talked about when he adds some, some strength. Well, he's been in your program for a year and a half now. Is he still not strong enough? If you, I mean, he, you can't teach seven foot or six eleven, whatever he is. Um, so, and look, I'm the first to admit that I, we don't see what's happening in practice and so on and so forth. But I just also get frustrated, like I said earlier, of just doing the same thing, like hitting your head against the wall with the same five guys. And Jason Carter's a great example, um, Brian. That you know, what's he what's he doing for for the team other than some defense and some rebounding, which is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is a zero which... on offense. Like, um, and the thing to his credit, he only took one. He had one three point attempt yesterday. Um, he stopped shooting. It's, uh, it's just amazing to me watching um, when he came to Centos when he was a sophomore at OU against Xavier and he scored like 18 points against them. I look at that guy and then I look at the guy that's on Xavier right now and they're not the same player. Like what has happened to that guy? Has his confidence just been so shaken that he is not good or I, I don't know. It's it's dumbfounding. And I think that goes back to what somebody said in the group text. It's like, yeah, Steele can recruit, but can he develop players? Because if you can't develop players, then it doesn't matter what their ranking is unless they're all Americans coming in. Well, and I think that the the thing that we're all looking at with some positivity and some hope is Dwan Odom. Colby Jones. Um, I hope Wilcher sticks around. Um, and then, you know, you got new guys coming in next year. He's recruited well. I mean, Colby Jones looks like he could be a star. But at the same time, like, you know, Zach Fremantle is a star by the standards of scoring. And where's that gotten him this year? Yeah. Like, not that great. No. You guys have any anything else? I, I just can't figure out if the problem is players, coaching, or scheme. I mean, I'm sure it's some combination of all of them, but I don't, I don't know what's the what the biggest contributor is, and that's frustrating to me. It's very frustrating. And the thing is, I, I think the last night, notwithstanding, you look at the St. John's game. Who they lose to before that? UConn, is that right? Yeah. Um, like they got yep. they got good shots in those games. Um, I don't think I think I don't think they got as good of shots last night. The offense seemed to be a little more stagnant. Um, but you know, if they knock down knock down shots, right? Both those games look differently. Um. The defense is obviously more concerning, um, I think. Um, and I, I w- just to go back to like adjustments and things like that. Earlier this season, you know, if you're going to play this five-out offense, 
right? Why? And you have the athleticism that you do. And you're getting absolutely torched in your half-court man-to-man by a Providence team who runs flex. And that's, that's what they, they run. <laughs> yeah. We, run, we ran that with our fifth-grade C team. And they're still getting the looks that they're getting. What, like Sox, you were saying, change things up. You have all this athleticism. You have Paul Scruggs. You have Dwan Odom. Last night you didn't have Nate Johnson, but you have Adam Kunkel, who's fairly athletic for for what he is. Um, Jason Carter and Zach Fremantle. You know why can't you extend, pick up full court, speed the game up? Um, not saying that you're going to win the game, but you have to try something different. And to give up 85 points right. or whatever they gave up to Providence when you're sitting back in a half-court man-to-man is <laughs> pretty bad. Um, that's putting it politely. So, you know, I just don't understand. Earlier this season, they utilized the full-court press, and it worked. And I don't think they've done it once in Big East play – during a course of a game where they like not within the last two minutes or within the last four minutes. And it's right. been a it's been a sticking point for me going back to the Mac days too, because he does the same thing. Is that these guys are just so stubborn in what they believe. And you know, you can start pressing with two minutes left, and I think they got two or three turnovers last night. I guess what? You're already down 15 freaking points. It doesn't matter. Like, they came out they came out of the second half last night. They were down, what, 10 at halftime? Nine, something like that. And they came out playing fast. They took quick shots. They were aggressive. And granted, it's a very limited sample size, but the first two minutes of that half, they were up for nothing because they were speeding up the pace of the game. And it didn't last, obviously. But I just, going back to what you said, Sox, I, I just think that this team needs to play quicker. You, they, they just have to play quicker. And they did that earlier this year. I mean, you go back to the Oklahoma game, they were taking – Three, like, and granted, they were on fire that night, but, you know, they were just dribbling across half court, four or five steps, pulling up from three and knocking them down. And where Scruggs would take it to the bat, you just, I just feel like they have to play quicker. They play so slow offensively. And when you're not hitting shots, it's ugly. You get in a hole very quickly doing it that way. Because you're just so reliant on the three, you're taking shots with two seconds left on the shot clock. It's typically a long rebound, and then all right, well, fast break, or you're out of position defensively. Now, I'd rather see them just say, "Hey, fuck it, let's go." Maybe they'll do that this weekend. I don't know, but <laughs> well, and to your point, that I think that also gets into um, to to what we were talking about earlier as far as depth, too. Because if you're playing faster and you're running, then you're probably going to see some more substitutions and guys coming in and out. And so maybe that's part of Steele's 
madness right now is that he wants to play slow so he can play the same five he, guys for right. And you know minutes, what playing which, fast does? I know that plays not. right into a guy like Kiki Tandy, who I am not. I could go either way with him right now. I mean, I you know whatever. But if you sped up the game, right, that absolutely helps him offensively. It helps him defensively, and it gets one of your best shooters on the court. Yeah, I I mean, what's going on with him is one of the – beyond the defense for me and the, and the shot making, the third most frustrating thing. It's like here's a guy that showed so much potential last year, and now you're not even getting him on the floor. I, I don't care what he's doing in practice. I've seen what he can do in a game, and I'm also seeing what Kunkel's doing in games. I'm also seeing what, you know, other people are bringing, and it's like – Put the kid in and let him play for 10 minutes at a time. I mean, he played the last seven minutes of the first half in the Butler game, and he had five points. He started the fast break where Ramsey got the dunk and one. Like, give him a chance. Everybody else is getting a chance. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, especially when you can't score, when you when nobody is shooting the ball from the outside. Put the kid in and let him see what happens. Yeah. Well, and and he, that I, I I don't remember if it was last night's game or the Butler game that um, the announcers were talking about how how athletic he is and how when he gets going to the basket because he's so athletic, like he has an ability to finish. So so it's not just right. shooting and, with him, it's and we saw that last year, the, the end of last year when uh, he was playing significant minutes, and this year he hasn't done it because, I mean. Since they went on their first COVID break, he's probably averaging five minutes a game. So, like, what do you expect? Yep. Um, so, they have three games left. Uh, Creighton at home this Saturday, and then they have at Georgetown, at Marquette. Predictions for the finish. Um, I think that Two of those games are very winnable, um, but what do you guys? Not the way they're playing. I give right them now, a one percent so, uh, chance to win on Saturday, uh, and then I think they should beat Georgetown. Should is maybe like sixty forty, and I don't think they're going to beat Marquette. So I think they're going to go one and two finish. Does that put them at thirteen and seven? They're not in the tournament with a one and two finish. Yeah, I, I, I don't think – I mean, based on how they've been playing, I don't think they're going to make the tournament. I think they get one and two, and then depending where that gets them in the Big East tournament, maybe they win a game there and finish 14 and eight. I'm, yeah. I am not optimistic based on what I have seen since they've come back from break, especially if Nate Johnson can't play. Yeah, I – I think Creighton beats them by 20 on Saturday. Um, I don't, I don't know how you really could think differently. Um, I think they're going to go 0 three down the stretch. I don't think they're going to win. Just again, based on how they're playing, right? Like, there's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brian, like you said, it's 60 40 against Georgetown. Like that's not confident at all if they're going right. to win that game. So, um, you know, hopefully they can figure something out and practice tomorrow and 
go from there, but I I think 0-3 is probably the most likely scenario, unfortunately. I'll say one and two. I think they'll beat Georgetown. But um, I agree. And, and when you're a team that's struggling to defend, Creighton is not what you want to see. Especially, especially playing but hey, at uh, least they didn't Centos, play where Creighton year. typically shoots <laughs> 85% from three. So, But I, the thing is, right, and this is the yeah. half-optimistic part of me, like – if you can somehow win that game, right? Like, then all you have to do is beat Georgetown, and you're probably fine. But I just – I have a hard time seeing them do it. I mean, I, I would imagine Creighton's probably going to be favored by six to seven. Um, but I mean, yeah, that's a I, huge game. I, if, if they can win, I, I would really just love to see X come out with some energy, man. Like, act like you care, you know? I, I just feel like last night, somebody, you know, we were talking those first eight minutes. You know, the first four minutes were just horrific. No energy, it seemed like. Well, and part and of the – part of the – problem or maybe things that make it look like that way to your point earlier Matt it's like if you've got somebody in the post you can get the ball in there early in the game you can get some shots up get to the free throw line or get some inside out action but if you're trying to play five out no in inevitably what they do is they just essentially weave on the three-point line until there's five seconds left on the shot clock and then somebody's got to either force their way into the lane or throw up a quick pull up and it's just like that's not a good recipe for success. No. But if Nate Johnson doesn't play yeah. Saturday, I well, think their chances are 0%. If he does play, maybe they're like 5 to 10. Because the problem is that Xavier has to shoot really well, and they also have to have – Creighton not shoot really well because we know Creighton's going to get a lot of open looks from three. And they didn't make them the yep. first game. For sure. Well, that's, that's, that, that's kind of an interesting no. point, though, is this would be a perfect game, at least I think, with what you're saying, right? Creighton's going to get a lot of open looks. All right. Well, let's go. 40 minutes of just Hey, we're subbing, and yeah. we're going to press and press and press and press. They're going to get easy buckets, but we're going to speed this game up as much as we can. Yeah. Because slowing it down is not going to work. Yeah, I don't think I know that's what they're going to do. They're going to slow it down, and it's they're going to be down. They'll probably come out of the – Yep. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to unveil a new uniform on Saturday. X is going to come out fired up for the first five, six minutes. They'll be up like two. And then Creighton's going to be like, all right. Let's go. Yeah. X will play well for the first five to ten minutes of that game. They might even be leading at halftime. but No, they won't. Creighton. I said Mike. I said They might be leading at the <laughs> under-16 timeout. 
maybe even at the under 12, but at the under eight, they will not be in the lead. I don't think. But it's at five o'clock, right? Yeah. It's. Well, it'll be interesting. Um, And there'll be a lot to discuss. Um, We have spring training has started. So uh, the Fred's first game is spring training game is Sunday. Um, So in the next few weeks, we'll have a, a baseball preview. We'll also have March Madness, some kind of wager there, I'm sure. A bracket, the sports intoxication bracket. Um, and inching closer towards the NFL draft as well. So some stuff coming down the pipe. Obviously, the tournament will be a lot less interesting if Xavier is not in it, which is certainly trending in that direction. So hopefully they can right the ship. Uh you guys have nope. anything else? Wall to wall Xavier combo. I like it. A nice well, yeah, we could go on for two hours. recording. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the others recently have been longer. Uh so a nice um quick one back to our original targeted goal. Uh but that's all I got. And the podcast. Matt. 